Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady. Lou Weiss is off on assignment, so I will be hosting the show today with Yoav Kuttner, who is founder and CEO of Oro, Inc. Um, Yoav is going to discuss with me, and I'm looking forward to this conversation about e-commerce in manufacturing, both on the B2B side and the B2C side, uh, because the Internet has made this possible and COVID has almost made it a requirement. Uh, I'm excited to have the conversation. Yoav, thank you for joining me on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. A pleasure, a pleasure. You know, I love the subject of manufacturers (laughs) being able to sell. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you do. (laughs) You know, manufacturers being able to sell directly to, in my case, my hot button is the consumer. For instance, right now, if I could buy Clorox disinfectant wipes directly from the manufacturer, instead of checking Amazon, Walmart, Target, uh, Walgreens, and everybody else that's out of them, I'd be thrilled. So explain to us a little bit about Oro and how that came to be and and what it does, and let's get into it, Gus. All right, absolutely. So uh, I started a different company in 2004 with a partner, uh, Roy Rubin. Uh, That company was called Magento, and we created uh, a B2C, a business-to-consumer or direct-to-consumer e-commerce platform. Uh, this was riding the, the wave that uh, B2C e-commerce uh, had at the time. And we really created the platform that uh, was, uh, had the, the best or the, the largest market share of uh, online stores using our platform. So that went really well. Uh, and we later sold it to eBay, and later it was just sold to Adobe. So that platform is actually doing pretty well on its own. Uh, that said, while we were doing that, we started noticing that um, we got contacted by uh, not necessarily retailer or companies that are trying to sell on their direct channel to consumer, but rather companies that sell to other companies. And there are different scenarios, which I'll get into later. Uh, but okay. you know, we were young, much younger. It's 2004-ish, 2007. <laughs> uh, we were, <laughs> our egos uh, you know, matched our youth. And uh, we kind of said, yeah, we can do anything. We have a flexible platform. You know, it's no problem. What are your requirements? And we'll build it for you. And we started noticing that the use cases are completely different. Um, For a B2B company or manufacturer or brand distributor to go online, there's a complete different set of requirements than into direct-to-consumer and B2C, as we call it. So uh, once we sold that company, and um, in 2012, I left uh, eBay at the time, And uh, I started Oro, and Oro had a different kind of focus. We really wanted to focus on the needs of uh, manufacturers, brands, distributors, uh, resellers model, and and a little bit other stuff, but really focus on that segment of the market when they're trying to kind of transition themselves or transform themselves uh, into the digital world, right? Um, Going digital, as we call it. And we really kind of built a platform that from the ground up, addressed the issues and requirements we learned during our experience at Magento to uh, address these requirements and not have to rebuild them every time from scratch on top of a B2C use case. So we really created a very unique uh, B2B e-commerce platform. Um, 
we really have a great kind of success with this right now. We're onboarding uh, companies like manufacturers, brands, distributors, like I mentioned, um, and really transforming the way they're interacting with their customers, uh, opening new uh, opportunities for them, uh, and working with them. And, and, and really, when I was joking before that this is a passion of mine, I, we really are um, a company that we, I was actually joined by many people from uh, Magento. So we really are passionate about solving um, problems for businesses, specifically when trying to go digital. So when we kind of felt that the business to consumer is uh, completely uh, saturated, there was enough solutions, everybody was kind of, um, you know, finding the right uh, way to to create an e-commerce uh, store for their consumers, we really felt that the B2B segment was underserved, and that's where we kind of felt that we can actually uh, build the wheel, right? Not reinvent the wheel, but really build the wheel with, with this uh, industry and help these companies go online a lot of times for the first time. So um, that's what we're doing. That's what we're passionate about. And uh, we've been doing it, like I said, since 2012 and with Oro. Well, it is a significant challenge because that world, as you know, is all configure price quote driven. And now they're looking at um, almost how do I sell my product as a commodity? So would you would you uh, kind of explain that or parse that for me a little bit, Joanne? Absolutely. So we actually define three major use cases that we try to solve for manufacturers and, and other B2B companies. Um, and I'll start from the last one for a sec, and then I'll work my way back. I think that will make a bit more sense of this uh, okay. to answer your question. So we, we do have what we call B2B marketplaces. That's multiple sellers, multiple buyers that are companies that are interacting with each other. That's a use case, and we'll get into that, I think, a bit later. Um, then the, what we call the meat and potatoes of uh, transforming a company into digital is taking the whole buyer-seller interaction um, and moving it from you know, a pen and paper, in, in, uh, face-to-face meetings like uh, conferences and trade shows, uh, that specifically with COVID were hit really bad. Um, and, and, you know, best case scenario is emails, right, if that's digital, uh, and take it online. Having the customer, I mean, the customers, the buyers, and the sellers, the sales reps interact digitally uh, without the need to actually uh, talk on the phone, meet in person, et cetera. So that's the, the kind of the, the main thing that we kind of focused on. But to answer your question, one of the scenarios we are actually built for and we have as a use case is what we call the self-serve. And that means that um, a company wants to buy online from an, uh, a website that might be a manufacturer, it might be even a retailer in that case, like uh, Staples or stuff like that. But they still want to uh, buy as a uh, complex entity, which is a company, meaning that they might have multiple users, they might have a limitation on what those users or buyers can actually buy, uh, they might have a limitation on where they can ship, they might have uh, a fixed payment option, so they don't deal with credit cards when they buy for their uh, office or for a specific uh, a factory or a project that they're working on. And we call that the self-serve model. And it's like, if you want to kind of simplify it, it's taking the B2C use case and putting it where a company can actually shop online instead of, uh, you know, sharing their login and, um, and just being felt like they're dealt like uh, any other consumer have this um, ability to interact with the website as a company. And we call it the soft serve model. Um, so we definitely address that. And I think uh, since we, we started, uh, Amazon also started playing in this uh, space and they have today what we call Amazon for business. So again, they are, that allows companies to buy on Amazon and as a company and not as an individual shopper. So that's, that's the main 
questions that you answer. And, and we're definitely addressing that. And again, that's something we learned early on that, again, to answer a company as a complex entity rather than in the B2C where we were kind of catering to the lowest common denominator, we didn't know if and who's going to be shopping online, right? It could be a teenager. It could be a grandmother buying something for uh, her grandchild. It could be any, any kind of person shopping online. And, and what we focused on on, B, on uh, B2C was to create the kind of most intuitive uh, process that will help people to be in and out of the shopping experience as fast as possible for the highest order value we could get or the average order value we could get. And that's what we were focused on. When we started working with uh, B2B companies and we started seeing companies buying uh, off a website, we saw that this is not necessarily the case uh, because their processes, like I mentioned before, they might have multiple users with different permissions and a complete different user experience when, when interacting with the website. And we had to be able to answer that requirement. Otherwise, companies cannot buy off the website. If they have to share the login, if they have to start emailing each other their credit card numbers, et cetera, that doesn't work. And we learned that. So we're really built for that use case. I'll mention one more thing that I think is important is that in B2C, um, we really wanted to have uh, you know, this uh, easy in, easy out kind of approach because we knew that usually shoppers don't come back. That's something in the B2C world. Um, people that are shopping on a website are most likely not to shop there again, except you're, if you're Amazon or something like that. But on most e-commerce websites, it's a one-time uh, interaction. Versus in the B2B where the companies come back you know, over and over again, and it's a relationship. So again, if they can use a website, they'll build trust, they'll get the pricing that they want there, they'll get the products that they want there, and they will use that website over and over again. And that's a big, big lesson that we had to kind of build for because it's not only about simplifying and uh, having the easiest user experience. It's a lot about having the right user experience for the person in the company that's using the website at the moment. And that's a big change we had to kind of change with our approach and the way we built our product. Well, you are correct for sure in the business-to-business purchasing world that once a business establishes a relationship with a supplier, they are going to come back again and again and again. It is not going to be a one-off because, frankly, it's too painful to reconfigure your supply chain every time you're trying to purchase. So uh, uh, kudos to you on that. Uh, What were some of the pleasant surprises? Because I know you've had some challenging ones as you put this together here a while. What were some of the pleasant surprises that you didn't expect when you got uh, into this in a big way? So I think for us, uh, a pleasant surprise from from a very selfish uh, standpoint is that in the B2C world, we started really have cookie cutter solution. All the websites looked the same. You know, we were installing the same features over and over again. When we got to start working in the B2B industry, we started learning that no two businesses are alike, which was the truth in 2004 for B2C companies. But changed and evolved since. But when we were looking at a B2B space, really no two companies were alike, even in the same industry. And we have today competitors that are our customers. And of course, we don't share their secrets off, but each one has their kind of secrets, trade secrets, or a little bit different that they're interacting with their customers that makes them unique. Um, and for us, this is what we love because we love kind of finishing off our product, you know, customizing the, you know, the 20% or the 30% of it to match the exact requirements of a business and kind of discovering it together with the business. So I think for me, it's a, on the selfish side, it's a big challenge. 
just looking from the industry, I think the 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 great uh, feedback that we're getting that we are really bringing companies, uh, you know, up to speed with what's going on in the world. So if I if you know I, I talk to partners and we'll get into that maybe later, but I talk to industry partners that have solutions and they know us from our B 2 C time and they're like, oh, can we start offering these? Uh, solutions like advanced search or uh, artificial intelligence or whatnot, machine learning to your customers. And I tell them, you know, premature because the B2B world is maybe five to 10 years behind. We're still figuring stuff out. We're still uh, catching up with where the business to consumer world is. And it's moving fast. So that's the good news, but it's still something that's evolving. And, uh, but to get the feedback when we are successful with our customers, when they get feedback from their customers that they're enjoying to use the website and and the the website actually allows them to be more efficient and multitask and not just uh, have to pick up the phone every time there's a change of the order that's something we love hearing so if we optimize the way a business interacts with their customers and we provide a better customer experience for their customers that's the feedback we're looking for to be honest yes no doubt and certainly the customer that uh you're dealing with in the B2B world is you know, another company's employees or that buyer company's employees. So why is technology and open source more relevant now than ever, you know? That, so I think let's start from technology. Technology is uh, do or die for many companies today, especially uh, for these very traditional businesses that were very successful locally. In their kind of, I'll say locally, also geographically, but also in their industry. But with digital today, we're opening up these companies to the whole world. And that can be um, from uh, even a steel manufacturer that manufactures for specific use cases, but might be contacted by somebody that was not coming to the same trade shows, but Googled them and found that they might be able to answer their requirements and develop something or build something for them. So we're seeing this that, you know, the traditional way of doing business is kind of evolving uh, this cross-border, so being able to reach out to customers that are not in the same geography, even in the same country, uh, but also to kind of open the horizons on what industry you can serve. And a lot of companies that are resisting this change and say, no, we'll do it traditionally, we'll go to the same conferences and same trade shows year after year, those trade shows are evolving. I won't say dying out yet. I think that um, you know, it's still premature in many industries to say that those trade shows are dying, but they're evolving. Their interactions are more of, you know, let's meet each other once a year and, and have coffee rather than I have to order everything in this uh, trade show, right? That once a year I have to order everything for the next year. And we think that this kind of changes how manufacturing works, how the whole supply changes, chain is affected by this. Um, and having customers order throughout time rather than, you know, in big chunks as a lot of these trade shows and industries work. And it's evolving the way that they are meeting their customers. So again, if it's not in your specific geography, you can now reach out to customers that are in far away from you and still help them out. Maybe I'm not on your full catalog, but on other things. So again, this whole world is evolving. So technology is definitely taking over. I think if we look at the generation that is taking over the workforce, if we talk about millennials and all that, they bring their habits with them, right? So they're used to using the internet. They're interacting with each other. Uh, digitally in their personal life. They shop for themselves uh, online. And when they become buyers for a company, that's the tools that they need to be successful, meaning that they'll start to research not necessarily the conference or a trade show. They'll go online and use Google or another search engine, 
just to search for what they actually need, right? And they'll start a lot of the relationships from an online research without the company or the seller even knowing that the buyer is looking at them. But when they are ready to interact more um, and move the order along, they actually are a bit more prepared. They already made some research. They, they did some research. They made some decisions, and they're ready to actually move on. So if you have the right content, the right um, things that you published publicly, that opens up, again, how you start your interaction with new customers and, and get them in. And if you're not searchable or indexable today, um, you might be just skipped, right? Because a lot of these researchers will start the research online. And if you're not coming up on Google, you know, you're not, you don't exist for them. So they'll use one of your competitors. So really technology is a do or die. It's a lot of companies, like I said, they resist it. They, I think it's a lost game for them and they have to kind of catch up with the times. And, and again, we, we can discuss later about phased approach. We don't have to do all or nothing. We learned that, again, uh, back in the day. We really kind of uh, ease them into this transition, right? But we really believe that for companies today not to go digital, it's a big mistake. Uh, open source uh, specifically, we, we believe, um, and, and I won't get into the technical side of it, but open source for us is more of a strategy rather than, you know, a philosophy that we kind of buy into. It's, it's a beautiful philosophy. I think, you know, we can share code and we all get better. That's beautiful. But for us, it is a strategy because once we give you the, the source code of our product, we do two things. One is we show you everything is open. You, you have full transparency on how we build things. We don't steal your data. We don't have some code that... Um, you know, uh, learns what you're doing and provides it to somebody else. You have full visibility on how the code runs. You can do full audit to the code, stuff like that. You, you also have, have full flexibility of how you're going to use the code, meaning from a license standpoint, there's no limitation, but also from a software standpoint. You can extend the product. You can modify the product. So it does exactly what you need. So there's no, like, choosing the best off-the-shelf product. You can actually choose us as the best off-the-shelf product for 60 to 80% of what you need and then kind of build or configure the rest like 40 or 20% that you need. And, and that's what we, uh, that's what we kind of see as a big benefit with open source. The last thing I'll mention about open source, which is a big thing in today's world is the, what we call no vendor lock-in. That means that even if you choose to have a business relationship with us, so we actually offer a product as a free community edition, you can use it without even talking to us. You download it, your tech team installs it, and you, you start configuring it and using it. You never talk to us even once. And we have a commercial relationship as well from comp for companies that want to actually get support from us and uh, security updates, et cetera. So they really have, they buy a commercial license off our product, and then we, we have all these uh, extra offerings for them, including hosting and, and, like I said, the support, et cetera. But let's say they choose to work with us. And at one point, they say, look, we outgrew you as a company. We're ready to move on, own our own product. We have a good uh, IT team. We trust them. They can walk away from us. And they still own everything that they invested in building this product. They own all the data that they entered into this product and, and kind of gathered over time of using it, right? Whereas a lot of closed source solutions, uh, as compared to open source, uh, do not provide this. So their, their approach is, let's lock you in, so you have to pay us from now till eternity because we own all the configuration and modification you did. You won't be able to necessarily run our software anywhere else. And most important, they're not necessarily going to give you full access to your data. 
that might limit the amount of data that you can take off their uh, platform when you want to move to a different platform. And that's something that I think is the most important about open source. And like I said, for us, it's a strategy rather than a philosophy because we believe that people will start using our uh, free community edition and test it and then come to us because they want to have a relationship with us and they'll see the value of the product to their company and pay us not because they have to, but because they want to have a relationship with us and be closer to what we provide them. So I think that's kind of the open source side of this. It's an excellent uh, strategy. I really like it. Uh, I have to ask you one question that dates um, my knowledge in manufacturing, which tends to be kind of an evolutionary um, industry sector more than a revolutionary, and that's just-in-time inventory, which you know I've heard about for 20, 30 years, and some companies can do it quite successfully, some not so much. With your platform, does it help with the just-in-time inventory into production a little more effectively and efficiently than what they might have been struggling with to date? Yeah, so if, if we're talking about the use case of um, uh, having the, the, the real-time inventory, right? That's what we're trying to kind of answer. Um, so it really depends on the industry and even within an industry, we'll see that part of the catalog is available, right? And part of the catalog is built to order, right? So it really depends on the industry and what's ordered if, if we're talking about this direction. Um, we have implementations where we are tied into multiple systems. One of our customers uh, through acquisitions actually has six different ERPs on the back ends, on the back end of their uh, system that we have to integrate with for inventory because they're a distributor. Wow. Yeah, they have multiple warehouses across the U.S. Um, and like I said, when one order comes in, it might have, you know, 1,500 line items on the order. Our system has to kind of know how to check inventory, how to uh, um, notify the customer of availability and expect a chip date or expect a delivery even. And we do all that work, right? We kind of combine. We're, we're acting almost as an order management system as well, and that's part of our capabilities uh, that we kind of focused on as well. So we really provide that feature if it makes sense for the industry. And I have to say that because um, we, you know, some industries, like I said, are only built to order, right? There's no stock or inventory. Right. Um, but others have this mix. And I'll give a really good example of one of our customer, uh, our customers. They're um, in the forklift spare parts industry uh, world. Um, and their customers are forklift uh, where operators that are warehouses, you know, uh, the shipping warehouses of companies, uh, etc. Uh, the Army is one of their biggest customers. And when a forklift is down, as we learned, it's uh, it costs them money, right? And the operation kind of can stall and their throughput uh, slows down at the warehouse, etc. So they really need to get the forklift up and running as fast as possible. In the old world, uh, what they would do when a forklift would go down, they would wait for the morning, call their... Um, local reseller or um, distributor, get a quote. He'll call them back later in the day, tell them, look, I think I can get this part for you by this date. They say, well, that's too late. He's like, okay, let me check again. I'll call you tomorrow, right? And this was like going on. Uh, what, we've did, what we did with our customer, truepar.com, if you want to check it out, we provided this real-time through integrations that we do to uh, his suppliers. We provide a real-time uh, availability of the product in reference to your geolocation. So we know when it will actually get to your warehouse. So we go one ah. step further. It's not 
only if it's in stock or out of stock or how many we have on hand, it's by when you're going to get it. So when you make a decision, if I should buy it, you know, well, if I buy it, I'll get it on Thursday rather than, you know, is that too late or is that uh, right on time, right? So I'll buy it. So you can make a buying decision that's also time sensitive. And that's very specific to that industry and specific to their requirements, but we were able to do that. And to add to the mix, we also provide real-time pricing. So he knows if I need it sooner, you know, or if these these type of uh, price, uh, this type of uh, items that are sold, he can price it a bit differently as well. So we actually do both real-time pricing, real-time availability, and uh, expected delivery date, which is almost an industry first for them in this industry. So he's pretty successful. And I'll say, I'll add to this that in this use case, we actually developed a B2B uh, website, but if you try it out, it almost feels like a complete B2C experience. You're buying, you're searching, you, you see reviews, you, you can uh, compare items, and then when you're ready, you check out with one or two items that you need because it's more of an emergency kind of uh, buying, right? Uh, which and then we're going to get into that, but you know, in, in B2C, we, we really look at impulse buying, right? I see a commercial or I need new sneakers, I'll pull up my phone, I'll buy new sneakers right here right now. Uh, you know, in, in B2B, we talk about process buying, right? There's like we talked about this research and there's a new project that we just won and then we have to start sourcing all the items, et cetera. So it's a process. It's not something that is done same second. But in the forklift industry and specifically what we were solving for, it felt more like a B2C experience, right? The forklift went down, go on trueport.com, see when the battery, you know, delivered. And that's what we kind of built for them on top of that. Of course, we have the complexity of the pricing, et cetera, that's more B2B, but the idea was that we really built a B2B site with the B2C flavor. And that's something that our platform actually does. We, we learned that a lot of the B2B companies we work with still sell to consumers as well. It might be a much smaller channel for them, might be less interaction uh, with the consumers. But we see that a lot of B2B companies might have some of their catalog or the whole catalog offered to consumers as well. So we're actually able to do B2B and B2C on a single platform as well because we learned that it's a requirement in the B2B world. Again, I wouldn't say that we're as sophisticated as some of the platforms out there for B2C, but most of the B2B use cases when they want to provide uh, consumer ex customer experience, it's on the simpler side. Again, we can get pretty advanced, but I'll say if you do B2B and B2C, you can do it on one system with us. If you're only doing B2C, there's better platforms than us for that. You know, Ev, what is likely to be the impact on the middleman who has made a living for decades, uh, actually centuries, between the manufacturer and the end purchaser? Uh, you know, technology tends to displace and disrupt. Do you see the middlemen being displaced or disrupted with this? Um, it's, it's a really great question. I want to say that because... Part, you know, a lot of what we learned in the B2B world, uh, as a side note quickly, is that we're becoming uh, less of a technologist partner but more and more of a psychologist partner because a lot of the things we're talking to, you know, to a lot of our customers are about uh, convincing people to use the system and, you know, well, how will it affect us? Are we losing our jobs, you know, and, and stuff like that. So we're actually finding ourselves that a lot of times it's not only digital transformation, but it is a cultural change a deep cultural change to the way the company operates and, and functions on all their levels, right? From the sales guys to, and I'll tell you this quick story. We had a customer that is a glass manufacturer, one of the biggest one in Europe. And when we kind of built this uh, software for them in the, in the first uh, version, and we wanted to go into the next version where we actually have 
the pricing of each sales rep that he can work with his customers through the system, there was a big mutiny on the sales team because they said, I'm not going to put my prices into the system because my uh, colleague, my uh, sales rep next, that sits next to me is going to see my pricing and start asking for this pricing from the sales manager, right? And we asked him, so how do you do it today? He's like, oh, we each one has a drawer that is locked, and that's where we have our price list, right? <laughs> they negotiated. So, so they were so afraid of being online. So we get all these weird stories, and that's great. But, but specifically to answer your question about the middlemen, that's something we're actually seeing. And depending on the industry, this is, like you said, this is how they've been operating for centuries sometimes, right? Uh, where there, there's no direct contact between the manufacturer and the end user. Uh, I think the pool industry right. is a wonderful industry to look at uh, when it comes to that. It's almost impossible to buy directly from uh, manufacturers today. Um, and you have to buy from either your pool maintenance guy or from your local pool shop, right, uh, the items. But as we kind of learned uh, what, what's going on there, we actually didn't kill the middlemen. We actually started working with the middlemen. And part of what we have built into our platform was based on the use cases we knew is that we're providing the middlemen the tools to go on site or interact with their local uh, customers or even provide from the manufacturer leads for them that are local to them that they would not get otherwise, right? So we're actually enhancing their uh, reach in their local geography. That they, Yeah, and and we really built some really nice uh, pilots with this, and hopefully we're actually going to, with the pool industry specifically, I won't mention the manufacturer, but it's one of the biggest manufacturers in the U.S., and we did this on a pilot, but once we had kind of identified how they're interacting with their uh, middlemen, as you call them, we really built features for those middlemen to be able to go with their cell phone, <clears throat> sorry, to, um, to a new pool site where there's a pool being built and provide uh, kind of a, a sales order right there in front of a customer or, uh, um, or, uh, or the person building it or the uh, architect or whatnot to whoever they're meeting with. And that will already include all the parts and everything with their pricing and, and delivery time, et cetera. So we actually enhanced the uh, experience. Um, that said, what makes it even more interesting is that um, the manufacturers today, because of digital, um, might have contacts today directly with their consumers, but indirectly or, or outside of the sales process, let me say that. And what I'm talking about is if you think about, again, the pool industry example, uh, I hope some people have pools so they can relate a lot of these pools today have an app, right, that you can run and operate your pool from your phone, right? And that app is developed by the manufacturer. So the manufacturer actually knows that there's a pool in Los Angeles uh, on the street, right? But contact with the salesperson, with the, sorry, with the uh, pool owner. So what we're opening up now is that it doesn't have to be that you kill the middleman. You allow the middleman to sell, you know, the parts, the spare parts, the pumps, etc. But for example, we allow now the manufacturer to do automatic refills on chlorine, on salt, whatever they need to operate the pool, directly to consumer, and everybody's happy. <laughs> you know, so so actually these are interesting times that we live in because we're kind of re-figuring out how these interactions and what the the part of the middleman is. In that industry specifically, the pool manufacturer is not going to start having local sales guys come to see the pool on premise and kind of measure it and estimate, etc. Right? They need these people that are local, that have the reach uh, locally, but they might enhance the reach, the reach because if I'm the manufacturer and somebody searches for my pool equipment, they'll come to my website that has all the content, they can do the research, 
and then look for a local vendor to, to kind of get the quote and the pricing, et cetera. So we're actually just optimizing, I say. We're not killing the middleman uh, in this use case. Others, I'll say that they, sometimes we come to some industries and there is no reason for those middlemen. And unfortunately, there will be change over time to some of the industries. But as, sure. as I saw most often, we're just reconfiguring how the interactions are happening and optimizing them where everybody ends up happier, to be honest. Uh, we haven't, you know, once again, once we do the cultural shock and all that and we go through that, we really find out that we might optimize the way everybody's interacting and, and in the end, everybody's happier from the customer to the local sales rep to the manufacturer brand that's actually owning the uh, relationship in the end with the customer. So we're really, really changing or redefining the interactions, I think, on the, you know, crossing over between the different channels. Clearly, clearly you are. You know, Ab, as we wrap up this segment, a couple of things I want to discuss with you very quickly. I'd like you to share with our audience your website address so they know where to go to find more information. Absolutely. It's uh, oroinc.com. So that's O-R-O-I-N-C.com. And we have uh, different products there, but uh, specifically the uh, B2B e-commerce platform is called OroCommerce. And you can just click on that and, um, and learn a lot more about that. Or if you want a personal demo, we'll be happy to kind of demo what we do. I'll, I'll also say uh, just uh, a lot of people asking us about the name. Uh, so just in case that's sometimes easier to remember, Oro is gold in Spanish. Different, different story why we named it something <laughs> like that. But uh, Oro Inc., so Oro Incorporated, that's the name of the company. Okay. And I want to extend a couple of invitations to you. One is that we publish a monthly magazine called manufacturing outlook and your software and platform is unique enough that i would love to have you submit an article to us about you know manufacturing outlook as it relates to b to b and your platform love to highlight it in the magazine so um, if that's thing that you feel comfortable doing let's stay in touch and we'll get that ball rolling absolutely that will be a, a pleasure Great. Yo, thank you for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. It's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Same here. I appreciate uh, you having me. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. And we've been speaking with uh, Yoav Kuttner, who is founder and CEO of Oro Inc., and we encourage you to go to OROINC.com to learn about this exciting B2B platform. He brought a lot of intelligence over from the B to C world. And so check us out at mfgtalkradio.com where you will find this episode. You can also, while you're surfing the web, go to jacketmediaco.com and you will find our other podcasts there. You'll find Manufacturing Talk Radio, the WAM podcast about women and business, Hazard Girls, which are gals in unusual roles in industry and careers, full-time with Amy Nicholas, who talks about that challenging work-life balance for the working mother, Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman, who's an economist who talks about the importance of manufacturing in the economy, and Where's Willie, who is traveling to production floors and speaking to us as the machines run in the background. And as always, thank you for listening to this episode and Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time 
at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.